Welcome to the Networking for the People podcast series. If you're looking for guidance on NFTs, you've come to the wrong place. But stick around anyway as we figure out what our friends are up to, why they are doing what they do, and how they ended up getting there in the first place. I'm Robert. Welcome to NFTP. Today, we welcome Tyler, New York native, but current California resident. Tyler spent a few years living, working, exploring, and studying in Massachusetts before his most recent move to the Golden State. We connected after coordinating a series of prank calls on Halloween, perpetually requesting Monster Mash from the local radio, local college radio station. No harm, no foul. Uh, Now we're working together to bring you the best audio experience right here on NFCP. You usually hear him at the end of the episode, but here he is at the beginning. Tyler, welcome to the live side of NFTP. Thank you, Robert. Hi, everybody. I'm Tyler. resident uh, audio engineer here at Networking for the People, acoustic consultant, and soon to be aerospace engineer. So uh, a lot of exciting things happening in life right now. And thank you very much for having me, Robert. Of course, it was due time to have you up front here. So maybe to give us a little bit more detail in your own words, who are you, where are you, and what do you do now? So, uh, you know, like I said, I'm a uh, a bit of a sound guy, I guess, as uh, is what people might refer to me as. Um, right now, I work in acoustic consulting, a lot of architectural and environmental planning related to noise. Some of my job responsibilities include, you know, helping design buildings, architects design their buildings with an acoustic, you know, uh, sense, um, figuring out things like sound isolation between spaces, uh, room acoustics within spaces, say in a performance or recording space. Um, and then I also do environmental noise, um, outdoor stuff, community noise. You know, if you have an outdoor concert venue, if there's a big factory being built in a small town, there's noise concerns that come with that. Uh, these are all things that we look at um, in my day-to-day, in my current position. Um, it's a lot of it's a lot of breadth um, of different types of projects, and they're all very interesting. That's what I currently do. I'm also in the process of transitioning career paths a little bit into something new. Excited to say that I just accepted a position as an aerospace engineer with NASA. Oddly enough, uh, this is still sort of related to the work I'm currently doing. I'll really be leaning into the community noise and environmental noise side of things. I'll be working on the flight vehicle acoustics branch of the aerospace research uh, branch of NASA Langley in Virginia. Uh, So another move coming up for that one. Uh, But the the job will be really cool. It'll involve a lot of things, like I said, an outdoor noise looking at advanced air mobility and how people are going to be getting around in the United States in you know the years to come. There's a lot of people foreseeing things like drone transport um, and package delivery with drones and things like that, which is going to introduce a new noise source, i.e. drones, to a lot of communities that aren't currently exposed to it. So it'll be my job to better understand the noise source people's reactions to that and how we can help coordinate with the community to make sure everybody's living a happy and cohesive life. Well, the first thing I want to say is I'm very much excited for your new opportunity, your new role. I'm happy that you kind of touch on a lot of the things, not only for yourself that you're excited about, the community aspect, figuring out environmental noise, figuring out resolutions and the future of that. But also part of what you touched on is embedded in NASA's slogan, right? Making air and space available for everyone. Different parts of what you said, building the community, sharing and explaining um, the different components of noise, of how to cancel noise, where does noise come from? A lot of people wake up 
uh, hopefully to the sound of birds, but more often than not to the sound of an ambulance, you know, screeching by or a fire truck. Um, those of us in metropolitan areas probably have grown up or at least are used to the train rumbling uh, up, around, below, wherever it may be coming from. So I'm happy oh, yeah, to hear that. There's people that actively work on it. And, you know, if you're not supporting us here on the NFTP side, on the audio side, you're supporting us in other parts of our lives. Happy to be doing both. I guess I do want to kind of get a little more into your passion and why and maybe where from your interest in music grows. As a musician myself, I always love to hear different forms of music. I know there's a movie, I think it's called August Rush. I don't know if you're familiar with that, um, but it's basically, uh, I think you'd, you'd really like it. You'll have to give it a, a listen to or watch, I guess, after. But it's basically about a boy prodigy musician, composer, you know, the new, the next Beethoven, Vivaldi, who composes a you know piece of music just based on the environment of sounds around him, whether it's people playing in the basketball court or you know people that run their hand through the metal hand railings. So music is always kind of part of our lives. I know it's been a big part of your life, music and acoustics. Where has that interest started? And maybe to go a step further after that interest, uh, what's the most interesting instrument you might have in your collection? I guess I wasn't really like the most musical kid ever. I played the clarinet in fifth grade um, and I hated it. I wanted to quit, but my mom made me stick it out for the entire uh, school year. So one year clarinet under my belt, didn't touch another instrument until high school. And that's where I actually picked up guitar. Uh, I got an old, a, a kid's guitar that was like two feet long and it was unstringed. I I got it, I went to the music shop with my uncle who knew guitar and, and had played some. He helped me get it strung up. He helped me get it uh, tuned and everything. It was like 20 bucks. And then uh, I said, you know what? I'm gonna teach myself guitar. So I dove into uh, music or not music videos, YouTube videos. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of, you know, learn to guitar. Shout out to Marty Schwartz. If anyone has tried to learn uh, guitar through YouTube, that guy's the bomb. Uh, and, you know, I picked up a couple songs and then I learned like, oh wait, oh, maybe I should learn chords. Oh, maybe I should learn scales. Oh, maybe I should learn the modes and all that. Um, and it was sort of, uh, the more I knew, the more I realized there was so much more to know. And so I really got, you know, inspired into music, mostly through that experience, I'd say. Um, and then I love going to concerts and stuff, um, you know, and late high school into college. Um, I worked for the concert commission at my university where we helped bring, you know, the homecoming show in. Uh, we would help set up the stage for them, you know, the rigging and all that, loading in keyboards. I have a guitar pick from someone from Passion Pit because they dropped it while we were, you know, cleaning up the stage. Uh, that's a pretty cool little souvenir I got. So I was always sort of like trying to fit myself into the music world in whatever I was doing, whether it was playing guitar, you know, helping with these concerts. Um, I, I continued it further. Uh, I started an audio engineering club at school where we, you know, built things like speakers or a Rubens tube. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, I don't think I know what that is. It's a classic uh, science demonstration that you might see in like a physics class where uh, they take a tube, pump it full of propane, and there's holes drilled in the top and you light it like a grill sort of so oh, there's a wow. bunch of flames sticking out of this tube and if you play you know a synthesizer or, or like a sine wave through that tube you'll actually be able to see the distribution of pressures that is the acoustic wave in the height of the flames coming out of the top of the tube pretty cool just like demo thing 
you might have seen a high school physics teacher do it if you uh, had a cool one when you were in high school. I was always just, you know, messing around with stuff like that. I don't think we built any instruments in that club, uh, but I do have a nice little collection. You know, I have two guitars myself, an acoustic and electric. I have a couple a MIDI keyboard and like a launch pad that I play around with. Um, that helps go into some of the audio editing for the podcast here. Um, and then probably my favorite instrument that I have is called the kalimba. It's a, or a thumb piano is what some people call it. It's a little wooden box with a hole. It's hollow. Uh, and there's these metal tines on it. And you can sort of play it like a xylophone or, you know, a finger piano, as they call it. It sounds really nice. If you ever watch the show Avatar The Last Airbender, they use a lot of kalimba in their soundtrack. So maybe you'd recognize it from there. While Tyler is pulling out the kalimba he has uh, in his home office there, other people may know a different uh, music instrument that you really see in the classroom. It's called the theremin. That's kind of the only physics music instrument that I was always impressed by. Um, and for those who don't know what that is, a theremin is an electronic music instrument that's controlled actually without any physical contact, mostly just controlled by, I guess, I think it's the kind of electromagnetic pulse that your hands and your body produces. I'm not gonna go into a whole physics explanation <laughs> because some listeners here know my relationship with physics, um, but that just the hand movement around the instrument alters the frequencies, both ones that we can hear and that we can't hear uh, with the instrument. But Tyler, I think is ready for his Kalimba performance. Oh, kalimba solo. Here we go. That's a nice little, nice little diddly for everyone there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the theremin you're talking about, the uh, club I was in in college, we actually tried to build one. I, I was a graduating senior, so I don't know if we ever finished that project, but we did order like a kit to put one together. Um, it's the capacitance. Your hand mm. acts as a capacitor between it and the uh, metal rod and. That's what changes the uh, the voltage flow, which then changes the notes and frequency. So that makes perfect sense. I'm a little upset you didn't interrupt my explanation of it <laughs> and insert that one, which is definitely more correct. But thank you for kind of sharing your music experience. I always love to kind of think about how music connects different parts of our lives. And it seems only natural that even though you started with the one year of clarinet lessons, you progressed into guitar. Music and acoustics deals with sound and vibrations. So you kind of went from the sound that we like to hear, that we're familiar with, into the root of it. And maybe even before you got into your first job or as you were starting your first job, um, you knew that you were going to complete or had a goal of working on a master's degree in the field. You had your passion, you had that basic level understanding. What pushed you to, to in fact, complete the master's degree? And maybe you can give a little bit more detail as to your application process, doing that also while working a full-time job. Yeah, um, so I have a physics background. That's what my undergrad degree is in. So I was always sort of, although I really liked music and, you know, going to concerts, helping put on concerts, all that stuff, I, I you know, had this sort of math and science calling. It, it, it clicks for me, so I like to do it. Um, so when I was graduating, I was kind of thinking about like next steps. Um, I had an interview at my current company where, you know, I, I came in, I interviewed in person, uh, hoping for a full-time job. This was in like maybe November of my senior year. Uh, and it turns out, you know, after the interview, I didn't get the best news ever. They basically said, hey, we're a small company. I think it was maybe 60-ish people at the time. It's grown a little bit now. 
And we just like don't have, basically what they said is, we think you did great, but we don't really have the capacity to take on a full-time employee right now. What they did offer me though, was um, an opportunity to come in as an intern for the summer. Said, you know what, I'll take it. This seems like a pretty cool uh, profession. I'd like to get involved in doing this acoustic consulting type of work. So I took the internship offer. Because I didn't have a full-time job lined up after, I was thinking, what should I do next? Um, so I applied to Penn State. Uh, they have a graduate program in acoustics, probably one of the more put together graduate programs for this sort of esoteric field of study. Um, they, I applied, I think, towards the end of my senior year of undergrad, uh, got in, and then I had the option of either going in person on campus or uh, working remotely towards the degree. Right. On, and you were living in Boston at the time. Right. Or in the Boston area. Well, so I had, I actually got into grad school before I got a full-time job in Boston. Mm. So I was working this internship and, you know, every lease in Boston comes up September 1st <laughs> and we rolled the around infamous, to like- The infamous deadline, yeah. We rolled around to like the end of July at my internship and I was kind of like, Am I moving to Penn State to do my master's degree? I would really like, I like the company I work at. I would really like to stay in Boston. I have friends here and keep working here. So uh, I had a talk with my manager. He said, you know what? Yes, you've done great. Uh, we'd be happy to take you on full time. Um, one of the like sort of understandings, you know, with coming on full time was that I also had this goal to pursue a master's and the company saw that and they thought it'd be great to do too. So, you know, they requested that if I come on, I, I do also continue doing the masters um, because acoustics as a field is a little, like I said before, esoteric, it's a little niche. So there's having a master's is a good way to help get a foot in the door, right. even though, you know, it's a high level degree, it's kind of hard to say that you need that. But a lot of people working in acoustics have a master's degree or higher education of some sort. So a lot of my coworkers had master's degrees. They had done the Penn State program. Uh, so I thought, you know what, I'll do it. Um, and so then I was working full-time as a consultant for four years in Boston while taking classes part-time through Penn State. And that was a lot to do, <laughs> but I survived it and I have my degree now. And I think you mentioned at some point in at least one of the classes, or maybe it was even in your acoustics club um, in college, in terms of guest speakers, you had, I believe your CEO or kind of the founder of your company um, come and present and that's that conversation really helped you get a better understanding of the field in itself and where you wanted to pursue or you know why you wanted to pursue it in the first place. Yeah sorry I, I need to backtrack a little for that one. Um, <laughs> that's how I got the internship in the first place as an acoustic consultant was I was uh, you know I was a physics kid but I said you know what there's an architecture class called architectural acoustics right. and I want to do sound music y stuff so I'll take that class and a guest lecturer in that class uh was the person who is my current well he was my boss when I first signed on now he's the president of our company and he was there giving a guest lecture uh talking about what he does for work and stuff like that and I thought wow this is really cool Maybe I'll ask him for a job and I did it. You know, it didn't, it wasn't the smoothest transition. I didn't, you know, every college senior's dream is to land the full-time job and, uh, you know, everything's sunshine and rainbows after that. It's real life. Uh, not everything goes according to plan, right. but I made it there eventually. The more of these episodes that we've been recording and editing, the more unique stories we hear 
just about how different people get jobs or fall into the things that they do. So you're not the only one. And to everyone, to anyone and everyone listening, there's not a single route to pursue in order to just get <laughs> a job and fall into a career. Yeah. And especially, you know, when I first started out studying physics, I, I thought I was going to get a PhD. You know, I was going to, I thought working for, you know, a place like NASA would be pretty cool to do. And by the time I finished my undergrad degree, I kind of realized I maybe didn't want to go so hard into the physics realm. Here I am, I think five years out from my undergrad degree now, sort of coming full circle back to the sort of hard science and technical area of things. So there's a lot of different paths you can take in life and some of them will take you to the same place. Some of them will take you to places you've never even dreamed of. No, so. Thank you for sharing kind of the different parts of that story, getting the internship, working your way from even just the acoustics class to getting the internship again, navigating and forming that into your full-time role with your degree. I think there's a lot of valuable points and connections there that people can relate to. In terms of something imaginative, something maybe you didn't think you'd be doing, I want to kind of circle to the point of how we introduced us today, maybe, and what we've kind of been talking about and people have been hearing our voices uh, for a bit over a year now. You've been graciously lending your time and expertise with acoustics, with music, to refine the sound on the Networking for the People podcast. When people ask me why I started the podcast or why I ended up doing this, I really just say I wanted to do something creative. It's been a while since I took on a creative project, put my time and focus into something else and see what we can get out of it. What brought you to work on NFTP with me? And um, hopefully it's added to your own work in some capacity, or at least given you that uh, different brain perspective and let you kind of disassociate from your day to day and work on something a little bit more fun, I hope. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's sort of a creative outlet for me. Um, I don't consider myself, you know, a master audio editor or anything like that, but uh, I took a couple classes in college, you know, working in, it's called a DAW, a digital audio workstation or workshop, something like that. Those are things like Ableton Live, Audacity, uh, Logic, um, basically just something on your computer where you can edit audio. So I had a little bit of chops with that just from taking a couple classes. And when Robert, you know, I, I had heard about your podcast you were coming up with and I was like, oh, hey, you know, you know, I can swing an axe or whatever the audio equivalent <laughs> is. You know, I can I can take a stab at, you know, doing some audio editing for the podcast because, you know, in my day to day work, I was writing a lot of reports, doing calculations, site visits, client meetings, um, all the consulting things. But, you know, I hadn't really found an outlet to reopen uh, these DAWs, the digital audio <laughs> workstation that I have. It was kind of like, uh, hey, yeah, I can actually use some skills that I uh, put on the back burner for a while. And uh, also, you know, help my friend out while we're doing it. And maybe we can make something cool. So, and that's what we're here doing and talking about today. Yeah, no, thanks for letting me know about that. A lot of people can probably relate to that creative project that they look to do, that side hustle in one way or another. Uh, whether we get sponsors or not, it's a different story, but this really is just a different way for us to think about things, learn about other people, and pun intended, network with the people around us. <laughs> yeah, I think that's been one of the cooler parts about doing the editing too, is hearing everybody's story. I mean, any dedicated listener will get to do all the listening that I do editing it, but just hearing everything that everybody's, you know, all the different paths people have taken, all the different connections you've made, Robert, which, you know, to get three seasons worth of episodes for this show is pretty impressive in the first place. Getting so many different 
sort of life stories and, and career stories through this podcast has been pretty eye-opening for me. Yeah, and, and me as well. Briefly tied to one point you mentioned earlier and kind of hint at maybe a future, well, I know for sure a future episode in the season uh, is kind of the connection between sound and architecture. Part of what you described is the journey that it takes either growing up in your career or expanding your kind of own breadth of knowledge. And sometimes part of that journey includes making a big move, whether it's from city to city or state to state. You did leave us from the East Coast to the West Coast, and maybe you're coming back sooner or later. LA is known to be quite that creative place, quite that place for influencers, musicians, artists, and the like. How had that transition been for you going from, let's say, New York or Massachusetts, where you've been for so long, to the West Coast, to LA? Yeah, it's been a pretty great experience. I've been here since September, so probably six or seven months so far. Um, I'm not like in, you know, what's it called? Studio City. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not <laughs> I'm not in the Beats Lab with anybody uh, working out here or anything like that. Uh, but L.A. definitely I've noticed, you know, compared to growing up in uh, upstate New York and then living in Boston, there's definitely a very large like uh, push for the arts. You know, artists, uh, people make careers out of being artists here. Uh, a lot more than I've seen in, I guess, the Northeast. There's a lot of musicians, there's a lot of producers, there's a lot of, you know, some people will be band, like uh, managers for bands and things like that. There's always a concert going on. There's always multiple concerts going on. There's always something being recorded. And LA is just a very lively city for that, which, uh, you know, someone who grew up in the Northeast their whole life, it's been a a bit of a change, uh, a lot more car dependent out here, I'd say is the biggest change I've noticed. But as you alluded to a little bit, uh, I am going to be making my way back to the East Coast soon enough. Um, this new position that I found myself in is going to land me in Virginia, uh, down in Hampton. So uh, that'll be a whole new experience for me too. Uh, I'll now I've lived in the Northeast, the Southwest, and now the Southeast. I guess. It's hard to figure out maybe why certain places go or grow certain types of talent and interest, you'd think, at least in Massachusetts or in New York, right? New York Fashion Week with Berkeley College of Music is huge um, in Boston. So even though we have these small pockets, it does seem like there's that big kind of Hollywood vision, or at least maybe it's all the sunshine. I would say it's probably more to do with that than, uh, <laughs> than maybe some other things. Being an influencer is a legitimate career out here in Los Angeles. I've come to learn. Um, not that I thought anything bad of them on the East Coast, but uh, a lot of people do it. Um, and, you know, if sort of like we're talking about today, I found a way to to make my career path work for me. And uh, something I learned in L.A. is there's so many other career paths that are outside of my like realm of understanding. I, I, I don't think I'd be a good influencer. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, if there's a way for you to make it work and you're passionate about it, uh, you can definitely do it. Yeah, I agree. I want to tie us back a little bit to kind of more something aligned with your day-to-day, -day, something you work on with your clients, with the architecture side maybe of the acoustics element. You were part of the process uh, to break the world record for the world's loudest recorded clap. And I just I just clapped. I hope that doesn't break anyone's ears. Maybe we'll include a warning there. Well, we'll see what it sounds like. You're part of the world's loudest recorded clap, or at least attempted to be. What was it like being in the room when that happened? Did you have to cover your ears? What was the situation like? What's the story there? 
Yeah, so we worked with a woman um, at an architecture firm to help, you know, build some buildings, a lot of projects, um, and one of our bigger clients. Her husband, I guess, had a, a reputation for being a really loud clapper. She used <laughs> to tell him to not clap at baseball games because it would hurt her ears. And so, you know, they just uh, emailed the company one day out of the blue and, you know, her husband, uh, he was like, hey, I think I actually might have a shot at the world's loudest clap you guys do sound stuff. Can you help me? Uh, can we uh, work something out where you can, uh, you know, can we legitimize this? Uh, do I have the world's loudest clap? And uh, one of the things that I like it, you know, in my consulting position is my company also ran a blog. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we would shoot out email blasts and stuff like that. So I would, I would write blogs from time to time, just fun little articles. Um, and so we thought this would be a great thing for, you know, to write a blog about. So I took on the project, uh, we brought him into our office. We have like a, a pretty quiet room for specialized listening purposes where we did the clapping. Uh, we reviewed all of Guinness's rules and regulations on the clap, which to be honest are not that ironed out. And uh, it seems like they sort of <laughs> uh, quilted together, stitched together a couple different you know, forms into saying, hey, these are the requirements you need. Some of them were a little contradictory. <laughs> But we did our, we took our best effort at it. And um, Stephen clapped at, I believe, 117 dBA, which is A-weighted decibels. Um, A-weighting is sort of molding it to how humans hear better. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty loud, um, but it's a little, uh, a little facetious because that 117 dBA was the maximum sample of the sound level meter, which was, you know, that was the loudest millisecond of the entire clap. And to have 117 dBA do damage to your ear, you need to be exposed to it for at least a couple seconds, minutes, mm -hmm. like a half hour, that type of thing. So, you know, nobody was like bleeding from their ears after this or anything. It <laughs> no, just no sounded glass, like a no glass loud shattered, clap. yeah. Yeah, no, no shattered glass. Honestly, I think uh, not a lot of people attempt this Guinness World Record, probably because there's not a lot of sound experts to really like <laughs> fully understand the requirements. I mean, I even after looking at them was like, they the requirements don't even really make sense. <laughs> so it's it's official now. He got the or the uh, certificate from Guinness. He's an official Guinness World Record holder. So it feels pretty cool to say that I got to lend a hand in making that happen. That's really cool. Congrats. Uh, I guess I don't think I know any other people at the minimum associated with a Guinness world record. When you describe kind of a quiet space that you and your company maybe test, are you describing something more in the direction of an anechoic chamber or just a well-built room maybe that can record sound well? And those could be two very different things. Yeah, so um, the brew I'm talking about specifically is not necessarily an anechoic chamber. Um, just for listeners who may not know, an anechoic chamber is a uh, chamber with the absence of echo. Um, so it's got these giant foam wedges on the walls that absorb all sound. So you're only hearing the, you know, say the direct sound coming out of your clap rather than any bouncing off the walls or the room. The room provides feedback. This room is pretty close to that, um, but it's got a normal carpeted floor. Um, there are some pretty large panels on the wall with a deep air pocket behind them for low frequency absorption, things like that. Uh, and this room we use what's called oralizations. 
this sort of ties into the architecture world a bit more where what we'll do is uh, simulate sound in there. We have a, a nine speaker uh, listening setup, and I believe we can pull in a 10th speaker if we need a subwoofer for low frequency things. Basically what happens is the speakers are laid around the surface of a sphere more or less, and you sit at the center of the sphere. And uh, through computer simulation, we can make it sound like you're anywhere in the world, uh, even in the spaces that haven't been built yet. So right. one thing we you're do kind of text, simulating that acoustic environment, so to say, of a building, of a space, of a forest, right? Whatever it may be. Yes. And to do that, you sort of need a blank slate background. Like you need the room to not be providing feedback. So that's mm. why I say this room, while it's not an officially licensed anechoic chamber, it's pretty low background noise. doesn't provide much noise feedback. So it's a good place to do the clapping test. And then it's also a good place to do these uh, listening exercises. So one thing we'll do with architects is if they're designing a space and they want to know, you know, it hasn't been built yet because building it costs time and money, but they want to make these design decisions to say, hey, how much sound absorptive treatment should we put on the wall, on the ceiling? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what if we shaped the room this way or that way? We can come up with uh, an acoustic model of those spaces based off of, you know, architectural plans and then have the architects listen to it in you know, this specialized listening space and be able to make those design decisions where they say, okay, maybe we don't need full sound absorption on that wall, but let's give it half coverage. And what would that sound like? Mm -hmm. You can hear those in real time, make decisions that'll save you a lot of money down the road in your building process. That's really cool. I know one example, and maybe it's something similar to that oralization concept where you have kind of a unique acoustic environment. Uh, and many New York City residents might know about it, may be fans of architecture in some way may know about this too. It's called the Whispering Corners or the Whispering Gallery. I see. Oh yeah. Uh, Tyler definitely knows about this. So maybe to listeners, I, I love this thing because it's super cool. Uh, the Whispering Gallery is in Grand Central Terminal in New York City, and it allows the sound waves to kind of travel along the walls. Um, and it's this low arched, I guess, tiled walkway so just based on the geometry and architecture of just that open room, so to say, it's not a closed room. Um, it's there's like where this, two pathways meet. Yeah, exactly. There's It's two, I guess, parabolas. So you get a parabolic arch uh, and that unique shape reflects the sound waves in a way that they converge at opposite ends of the gallery. So you have two people standing and facing, um, whispering into the corners of the space. Uh, and they can be opposite corners, opposite corners, like, opposite yeah. corners. Like yeah, 50 feet like apart 50, from each other. 50 feet apart, exactly. There's other, I think, you know, places around the world where this happens and um, in buildings and forests and other kind of naturally occurring places. But yeah, it's definitely a really cool place to be. So if you're a frequent visitor to Grand Central Terminal or just happen to be passing through, definitely recommend looking up the Whispering yeah. Gallery. It's quite a cool feat. Yeah. The... Grand Central might be one of the most famous examples of that. There's a couple more um, in, I think there's one in Boston on Harvard's campus. There's like a church arch where you can mm. do a similar thing in. But yeah, uh, that's that's a pretty cool example of just like uh, sound is everywhere. And uh, sound is everywhere. We, we don't think about it too often, but we're sort of at the mercy of our acoustic environment. Food for thought that I like to give to people is, you know, uh, we have eyelids for when things are too bright, but we don't have ear lids for when things are too loud. And we're sort of subjected to our acoustic environment, whether we like it or not. So that's why 
building our environment around us through architecture, environmental noise, community noise is so important because people can't decide to turn off the sound if, yeah. you know, unless they're in full control of their entire environment. Yeah, no, it's really, I think, one reason why sound meditation is something that exists. Um, it's ex mm -hmm. exactly your point, right? We can close our eyes and I'm kind of closing my eyes right now. Um, so I can rest them. It's all kind of dark, even though I see kind of forms that block the light covering me, but we can't cover our ears. Um, re recently, I was at a yoga practice and uh, towards the end of a common yoga practice uh, is this kind of Shavasana pose where you literally kind of simulate just laying there and being dead. Um, and many people will fall asleep. I sometimes definitely fall asleep uh, at the end of a practice regardless of how short or long it may be, uh, or maybe you've had a long day leading up to it. Uh, but in this practice, I was woken up to the sound of a gong, uh, which was very which was very funny, um, but also made me realize that, wow, it was, I guess, so silent in the room because everyone was just practicing and entered this state of silence and peace that we were just so disassociated with all the sound around us, with all the environmental noise that we needed that external factor then to bring us back <laughs> into our, our consciousness. But maybe that, maybe that was just me. Maybe I was the only one uh, that fell asleep. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like it's invisible. People don't really take the time to pause and think about their acoustic environment and what sounds are, you know, if, if you're sitting next to a really, really annoying noise all day for eight hours a day, that like can wear on you in ways that you might not even notice because you zone out to the noise, mm -hmm. that type of thing. So, you know, tying back to the oralization stuff I was talking about, you know, mm -hmm. helping architects design spaces and things like that through these computer models. One of the cool things I'll be doing uh, as an aerospace engineer is similarly using those oralizations, but instead of designing rooms this time, I'll be simulating drone flyovers in communities and things like that. So, you know, looking at, you know, what are they called? Um, urban canyons or metropolitan canyons where mm -hmm. uh you know it's a city block like in new york where it's essentially the, the natural version would be a canyon but you're between you know giant segments of buildings on either side and uh you know those buildings can block sound uh depending where your source is and things like that so you know designing uh flight paths for drones in an urban area like that and wondering you know how that drone noise is going to affect you know the millions of people say in New York who, like we said, don't can't turn the sound off. <laughs> yeah, uh, your ears are open no matter what. So uh, we'll be doing things like that. Another interesting fact or idea about it will be uh, going from urban environments to rural environments. So if you have a drone, say, leaving an Amazon facility in New York City, flying to somewhere, you know, in Scarsdale or something like that, where mm -hmm. it's a little bit quieter. Maybe the drone noise is acceptable in New York by the facility where there's thousands of drones every day, but you know, out, out in the middle of wherever you are dropping off your package, they may have different noise standards, noise ordinances and things like that. Right. Uh, so these are sort of the challenges I'll be working on in the new position, um, using tools like this oralization process to bring these sounds to life, maybe before the drone is even built. And we'll just be doing a lot of exploring of how humans respond to these things. Uh, and it'll be, Pretty interesting work. I'm very excited to get started with it. Yeah, and I think that's a really nice place for us to summarize and wrap up for today. We talked about 
so much about telling us in this metropolitan sound canyon idea, acoustic environments, oralizations, uh, sound meditation, ties together of sound engineering, acoustics, and architecture. There's so much that's involved in this space. And thank you, Tyler, for explaining a lot of those things to us, to, to myself and to our audience. And also, of course, about telling us your progression from getting that internship, working through your masters, through the, your jobs, and through future jobs as well. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Um, yeah, happy to have chatted about it. Um, a, a note to end on for anyone, you know, we've said it a couple times, but uh, you know, you never know where life is going to take you. Um, so even if you, you know, maybe don't get into your top choice school or get your top choice job or something like that, as long as you stay dedicated and are passionate about what you want to be doing or follow your passions, uh, I'm sure you'll find yourself on the right track. Yeah. Thank you, Tyler, for giving us that thought process as you work through the stages of your career. And thanks to all our listeners for making it this far. Please visit our website at nftpcast.com. Complete the Google form on our website. Stay in touch. Submit future topics and industries for us to cover, recover, and discover. Tune in for the next episode and see you next time. Hi, this is Tyler, the sound engineer with the Networking for the People podcast. If you like today's episode and the music we played, check us out on Facebook and Instagram and at nftpcast.com. Thanks so much and have a great day.